I don't say this uh, lightly. I mean it. This is one of my favorite places in the world to come. I love what God is doing in this church. I love the spirit in this place. And for me to be here is a real privilege. So Pastor Mike, thank you. Thanks for allowing me to come. I always say to be invited to a church is one thing, but to be invited back, that's a whole different, whole different category. Anyone can go somewhere once. And um, anyway, so to be able to come year after year, I count it a real privilege. There's a lot that we're doing in England. Like Pastor said, we're, we're part of the same association, but more than that, there's a friendship and there's a kindred spirit. And there's a lot that God's doing in our church and in our lives in England, which is just very encouraging at the moment. And very, very exciting. But I say this with sincerity. You're a part of that because the number of times that I've been here that you have um, sent us out in prayer, but also financially. You know, a vision without provision is like a ship without water. And much of the water that our ship and gateway has sailed on has come from this place. And I want to say thank you so much for loving us, believing in us, sowing into us. And, and I'll tell you over the days, I won't take much time this morning for the sake of time, but I'll tell you some of the things that God is doing. And it's really, really exciting. God is changing the spiritual climate of the region that we live in. But the vision is to change the spiritual climate one day of a continent. And where we live in Europe, it's the dark continent, spiritually speaking, right now. They estimate, some estimates between three, some say up to seven percent of people over there are Christian and go to church. Whether three or seven, that's awful. We need a massive change to that. But change always comes from the inside out. God changes the man in the circumstance before he changes the circumstance the man is in. And so what God does, it begins in the house of the Lord. And so God begins to pour out His Spirit and move on His people. And then out of their bellies flows rivers of living water. And let me just say this, the waters are starting to flow. And it's really, really exciting. In fact, what I want to talk about today, and I might go to the keyboard here in just a second. But turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 9. And I'm going to start. So today, this week is a journey. We're going to go on a journey over the next couple of days. And I believe God is going to take us by the hand this morning. And for those of us that will walk together, and that's code for come to the services. Um, <laughs> just throwing that out there. We're going to start here in one spot. And we're going to end in a, in a whole new place in our walk with the Lord and in what God's doing through us. And, and I suppose in many ways, I, I was in my head, I was kind of starting here. In this, everyone look at me. I was going to kind of start here. But actually, as we were worshiping, I felt the Lord say to start here. And I want to take you many ways on the exact journey that God has been taking me on in my own life from, from right here over the last couple of months. And in many ways, our church, which is Gateway Christian Center in Birmingham, England. And the journey he's been taking us on to where we are now as a church and and. And the growth that we've seen, I don't mean numerically, although that's part of it. I mean within our own selves and with what God's doing. And I know I'm kind of talking in riddles at the moment, but it'll become clear. Because I believe that God is wanting to pour out of His Spirit on and through all flesh. And that out of our bellies flows rivers of living water. And I feel like there's gifts that need to be activated. There's anointings that need to be stirred up and released. And I'm not just talking in the church, I'm talking about in you. Because one of the things that God's been really dealing with me about in this passage in Matthew chapter 9, which is very famous to us, it says this in verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to them, his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. 
Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. This is what I've realized is we spend a lot of our time praying for the harvest. Praying for souls, praying that we'd see people born again, that we'd see people come in. Actually, Jesus said pray for the laborers. Because when the laborers are in the right place, when there's stuff going on within the heart and in the life of the laborer, the harvest is ready. And this is what it, we're experiencing in our circumstance and situation in England. The harvest is ready, believe me. It's the laborers that are the issue. And this is not a beat up on the laborers sermon. What I'm saying is this, is God is starting to stir within us. And he's starting to do things on the inside of us, people like you and people like me. And that, that, that good agitating of the Holy Spirit, that stirring up of the Holy Spirit is tremendously effective. Tremendously. And so actually, God wants to do something on the inside of us, the fruit of which will be seen everywhere we go. And we need to make a transition in our mindset from, I am a Christian, therefore I go to church. To, I am a Christian, therefore the life of God flows through me. And I believe God wants to take us on that journey from, from there. It's what he's been doing in my life in the last few months. So I'm not preaching at you from some high and lofty perch. If I point a finger at you, there's three coming back at me. Four if you've got a bendy thumb. Everything I'm saying to you applies just as much to, to me. Because we're in the same boat together, even though we're on different continents. So turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, please, over to Jeremiah chapter 2. I want to talk for a few minutes today. And like I say, I'm going to start this week in a slightly different spot to where I'd expected, but I believe it's the right thing. And I want to talk out of Jeremiah chapter 2. And the Bible says this in verse 11. It says, Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? For my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, because my people have committed two evils. Number one, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And number two, they've carved themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So Jeremiah the prophet is warning of two problems. He says, number one, we've forsaken God, the fountain of living waters. Living water comes from one place and one place only, and that's from the presence of God. You cannot get it anywhere else. You can't get it on Google. You can't get it on the TV. You can't get it at the beach. All those places are fine, and there's things you can get from there. But living water, that life, only comes from one place, and that's the presence of God. But the Bible says this also, but you've carved out cisterns that can't hold water. And my concern is this. For many of us, even when we do come into the presence of the Lord, at times like on a Sunday morning or in services, by the time we get to work on a Monday morning or by the time we get to the circumstance or situation where the life of God is needed, because our lifestyle doesn't hold that water, we get there and we're trying to minister in the love and in the power or the anointing of the Spirit of God and there's nothing to give because we've leaked. And we need to realize what do we do to fix some of those leaks. And then another verse of Scripture which I want to read. This is Jesus speaking, John chapter 15. He said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. The very famous verse of Scripture. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing in terms of fruit, spiritual fruit. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. Everyone say withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. Everyone say burnt. 
withered and burned. Here's what I want to talk about today, and this is where we're going to start this journey this week. I am concerned that far too many of us are living right on the edge of burnout. And we are fulfilling what Jesus said. It's like we're withered and we're burned. And we've lost some of that life and some of that, as Levi would say, that's my son, oomph in arm fuffa. We've lost some of the oomph. And here's some symptoms. This is what God's been dealing with me about. A, a number of ways that you see this. Have you noticed, if you're anything like me, I've noticed a number of kids that are coming back from university and college, even high school, with mental health issues and depression and anxiety. And, and I don't remember that happening 20 years ago. They maybe came home with hangovers, but they didn't come home with the same We've had a number of kids, even in our own church and in the people that we know, that have had to leave college early because of anxiety and depression. We're not getting enough sleep. This is moving on from college kids. Not getting enough sleep. Our relationships are very unhealthy. They're not in the place that they should be. Church has become an optional extra when it used to be a core value. And as I was out walking the dogs a few months ago, I felt the Lord dealing with me about three symptoms of burnout to be very careful of. And psychologists could come up with many, many more. But these are the three the Lord dealt with me about. Number one, and maybe you can identify yourself in this today. Number one, when you're aggravated with people. And I don't just mean when people are aggravating because there are times when you're around. That's not burnout. That's just aggravating. I mean just there's a, there's a general frustration with people. That's a symptom of burnout. Number two is this, when you just have this constant need to vent, there's a, there's a, a, a bubbling under the surface, it's just ah, a frustration about whatever it might be, wherever it's pointed, it's just you're frustrated. And then number three is this, you have no vision for the immediate future. Six months down the line, yeah, it's going to be awesome. A year down the line, absolutely. But the next six weeks, oh, if I can just survive, if I can just get through them, it doesn't feel like you're rejoicing because this is the day that the Lord has made. These are symptoms of burnout. And I want to take some time today, and I want to talk about the, I believe, the single most contributing factor to burnout. And I want to ask you, be honest enough to look in the mirror of the Word and see if you see yourself in some of the things I'm talking about today. And again, let me stress, we are on a journey these three days. We are starting somewhere, but believe me, by the time we're done, we're going to be at a whole new place in our walk with the Lord if God will let us, or if we will let God do this. So, what is the most contributing factor to burnout? And I believe it's this. It's the inability to handle our own self. And we'll say, ouch. The inability. We usually contribute burnout to circumstances or to work pressures or church pressures or busyness or financial situations or someone in the, the household is ill. And those things they are real. They're there. They're going on. I'm not denying any of that. But the inability to handle our own selves is the number one cause of burnout by far. And the way I want to illustrate it is this. I want to tell the story of the golden goose. How many of you are familiar with this story? Okay, for the rest of you, are you sitting comfortably? Because I'm going to tell you a story. There was a farmer, and he raised his animals, and he did his thing. He was a fairly poor farmer, lived in a village somewhat rurally. And he woke up one morning, and he went out to take care of his animals and attend the eggs. And he would take his eggs that the, that the chickens and the geese produced, and he would take them every day to market and sell them. And, and he was out rustling through the hay, picking up the eggs, and he saw something glistening. And he looked down, picked it up, and it was a, a golden egg. I mean, my goodness, he was just excited. He'd never seen anything like this before. And so he took it to the market, hoping it was real. 
And sure enough, this was a proper solid gold egg. And he sold it for more money in a day than he would usually make in months. He partied. He celebrated. They bought some nice things for the family. Went home, celebrated long into the night. Woke up the next morning slightly bleary-eyed. He's looking in the hay again, and he sees another golden egg to his shock. And he takes it to the market, and he sells it again. And sure enough, day after day, almost every day, this goose would lay a golden egg. And within a few weeks, a few months, this farmer was the wealthiest man in the village by a country mile. I mean, just beyond his imagination. But over time, a couple of things started to happen, and greed started to step in, and impatience. The goose would lay the egg first thing in the morning. He'd take it to market. He was back home by 9 o'clock, kind of tapping his fingers, waiting for the goose to lay another egg. He got impatient and got frustrated. He kept wanting more. And so he came up with this ill-fated plan that he was going to take the goose, kill it, cut it in half, pull out all the eggs at once, sell them, and then retire, you know, wealthy beyond his, his imagination. And so he did it. He followed through on it, killed the goose, opened it up. No eggs in there. And so now he has killed the one thing in his life which produced the gold. The gold in this story represents the things of God. In fact, throughout the Bible, and we'll see this more as the day goes on, there are too many things in the Bible represent different things about God. But the two we need to remember for today, this morning and this evening, are this. Gold represents divinity. The working of God, the glory of God resting in our life is represented many times by gold. And brass represents humanity. It represents what man can do, what man can produce. And so the gold in this story represents the things of God, the things that God produces in our life. When God starts to flow in our lives and situations, in our family, in our homes, when we're having conversations with people, when we're talking to people about the Lord, and rather than just saying, oh, yes, that's nice, something begins to burn in them. Something starts to stir in them on the inside. When, when you're praying for someone, it's more than just a comfort for the sick, but I mean there's healing in it. I'm talking about gold, the things that only God can do. That's what I want. Does anyone else the same? I, I don't want to have a church that's just impressive. I want to have a church that's dripping with gold. The things of God that, that only He can do. And in reality, that farmer had one job. One, only one thing he needed to do. And it was what? Take care of the goose. And what was the one thing he did? He killed the, he killed the thing in his life that was producing the gold. My friend, in our lives, in reality, we only have one thing that we need, to, we need to do, and that's take care of the goose. The things in our life that produce and release what God wants to do. And if we will do that, we will find that there is more gold. And again, please understand, as I talk gold today, I'm talking about this morning and this evening, I'm talking about the glory of God, the things that only God can do. I'm not talking about finances. And God has been dealing with me a, a lot lately about how to take care of the goose ties in with what I started with this today we're praying a lot for the harvest we're praying a lot for miracles we're praying for people to be saved we're praying for for people to come to the Lord actually Jesus said pray for the laborers because when the laborers are healthy and I've learned this you know healthy sheep give birth to sheep it just happens when we are healthy when our lives are where they should be when there's things going on between us and God there'll always be things flowing out between us and people and so when we have that part right, this part just naturally happens. And God's been dealing with me a lot about how to take care of the goose, those things in my life that produce the things of God. And the, and the most simple, the most basic principle is this. You find it in Psalm chapter 46, verse 10, where the Bible says, you know it as well as I do, be still and know 
that I am God. Another word for still is alone. My friends, you and I have got to learn to be alone with God. And pass my phone if you would please. It's, it's under my, yeah, there. If, if I'm taking this into my prayer time, I'm not alone with him. Not unless it's on flight mode. By the time you factor in Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, Uvu, WhatsApp, MySpace, your space, all the other different things that are on there. Every time it buzzes, and you're distracted by it, and it goes again. And you, We have got to switch this off. And I believe, you know, we are living about 10 years into the social media and, and broadband revolution. And some of you can remember what life was like before then. Others of you can't remember what it was like before. But there was a time where we were not so connected. And part of the reason we're burnt out is because this thing never gives us a break. And it's a great servant, terrible master. And so let's go back to the college kids or the high school kids because it's way more fun to pick on them than it is on ourselves. So we're going to go there. You know, the average high school kid goes to sleep with this in their hand. They will check this thing two to three times. Average college kid checks their phone two to three times a night to see who's messaged them, what's going on, how many likes, etc. We will wake up in the morning. This is usually our alarm clock. And so the first thing we do, we're laying in bed. It's in our hand. You're looking at it with one eye open because the other eye's not even open yet. To the point that when you then do open the other eye, it's blurry. Because the one's being staring at the light and the other one's being closed. People will sit, sorry to be crude, on the toilet. Go on with the phone. Your teenager walking down the hallway in the morning, they bump into you because they're on the phone. The only reason they bumped into you because you weren't looking either. You were on yours. Sitting at the breakfast table. It's constant. Levi, my son, he's got YouTube playing. Videos about how to play video games on his phone constantly. And then we're getting ready. Kids going on the bus to school or in the car, whatever it might be, on the phone constantly during class, between class, at lunchtime. We never get a break. There is never a moment where we're not getting bombarded. And I believe with all my heart, this is, it's part of the spirit of the world to distract us to where we are never still. We are never alone long enough to know that He is God. And we have got to get back to that place where we carve out some time where it's just you and just Him. And where you come and drink from those rivers of living water. Because the harvest is plenteous. The reason the laborers are few is because we are so busy and we're so distracted. And I'm not talking about with sin. This isn't sinful. It's just distracting. Again, great servant, terrible master. I was at a conference recently. Pretty big conference with some pretty big speakers. Some of the who's who at the charismatic zoo. And they were all on their phones constantly. And maybe they were sending pictures of what was going on back to their, you know, faithful followers. I don't know. And there's a time for that. And there's a time I do it too. And I'm not saying you can't ever check anything. And I've got my notes on here. So sometimes I add something on my notes. So it's on my iPad by the time I get there. I love technology. But it's got to be my servant. It cannot be my master. And I've got to have times where I switch this off. And I'm not just talking to young people. I'm talking to older people too. We've got to be still and know that he's God. And here's what I find. When I get still, and God's been dealing with me a lot lately about silence. And this is new for me. I'm a loud person. I'm a noisy person. I'm a busy person. I'm charismatic through and through. I have been since I was six years old. I like talking. I like talking in tongues when I'm not talking in English. I like singing. I like 
being still is brand new for me. The beauty of silence, I didn't find it very beautiful. But it's amazing if you will actually be still what's going on in there. Angela and I, a number of years ago, we were probably 21, 22. We took a vow of silence for three days. Lasted till 11 o'clock. But we took a vow of silence. And we weren't going to say anything to anyone. And what the problem was is that the phone rang. And we knew we couldn't answer it because you can't answer the phone and say nothing. That would be awkward. So we let the answering machine pick it up. But it was about a meeting that we were going to that weekend. And it seemed like it was, and it, I mean, I suppose it was urgent. We needed to deal with it. And then so I was wanting to talk to Anne what her thoughts were about it. So we started to write to each other. And that was getting ridiculous. So we started talking. And then we thought, forget it. But just from 6 o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock in the morning when I said nothing, it's amazing what goes on in there that you don't notice because whoop, out it comes before you even, you're so busy talking that you don't realize what's going on in there. But when you close your mouth, it's like your thoughts, your head becomes a pinball machine. There's no outlet, so it just bounces around. It's amazing the nonsense. <laughs> the nonsense that goes on in there. Just the, the foolishness. And how little of it is edifying. I encourage you sometimes, take a vow of silence. Hopefully you'll be able to do it longer than we did, but but it's incredible what you learn about yourself. The Bible says this, that there's refreshing that comes. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 talks about times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. When we get in the presence of the Lord, there is literally, that word refreshing is the Greek word anapsusis. It means recovery of breath. Also, the word revival comes out from it, which is two words stuck together in the English language. Re which is a French word again, and vivre, which means life. Life comes again when you get in the presence of the Lord. You get your breath back. Have you ever seen Usain Bolt and he's been running? And then they interview him. It's a good five, ten minutes later. And he's still, he's just, he's trying to get his breath back. If they interview the Premier League football players, they run an average of 10 to 11 kilometers over that game. It's not like American football where you guys stop every 15 seconds. I mean, it's ridiculous. Just between you and me. Come on, if you get paid that much. Every 15 seconds they stop and someone else comes. No, real football people actually run up and down. Nine, 10 kilometers a game. And you interview those guys after the match and it's it, 10 minutes later. And they're still, and you just kind of, you, you find yourself gasping for breath for them. You just want to say, sit down, you know, take a minute. But what happens is this, is if you sit down, you start to get your breath back. But there are some people, some situations, there's a problem with their lungs or smoking. It's gone beyond that. And they'll put them in the back of an ambulance and they'll put that mask on them. And it, it pumps liquid oxygen into them. <sighs> that's not Darth Vader. That's an oxygen mask. <sighs> and, and it literally just pumps pure oxygen into them. And they get their breath back and their energy starts to come back and their limbs start to feel normal again and their heart beats healthier and their brain begins to function properly again because they got oxygen. That's what the presence of the Lord does. It's like to your spirit. And refreshing comes. If you see a man that's bursting or bubbling with the things of God, you're probably looking at a man or a woman that's put on that oxygen mask. And I find this, when I get still... I suddenly know that he's God. Jesus is our example in this. The Bible says in Luke chapter 5 verse 16, Jesus himself often withdrew to lonely places. NIV says, lonely places and prayed. That doesn't mean, when it says lonely, that wasn't his sad place. That was his happy place. 
He wasn't lonely because he didn't have friends. He was lonely because he was alone. And if Jesus, who, I mean, you think about the pressures and the demands on him and on his time. And sometimes I get a bit of a Messiah complex. If I don't pray for this person, if I don't visit that person, or if I don't go to the service, or that's called a Messiah complex. I remember hearing Joyce Meyer talk about that one time, and the Lord dealing with her. Joyce, you're not the Savior. I am. Jesus didn't have a Messiah complex. He is the Messiah. He didn't think he was God's gift to man. He is God's gift to man. And if he often withdrew and God alone, then how much more should we? Because he knew that I cannot produce in my own strength what can only be done by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says this in Job chapter 29 verse 6, and I love this verse. It says, when I wash my steps with butter, the rock poured me out rivers of oil. If I want the oil of God flowing in my life, you could use the word again, the gold flowing in my life. I want it to be because I've washed my steps with butter. I met with a guy the other day. I'm going to read you a text. This is not for the purpose of tooting my trumpet. I promise you that. Over the course of these days, you'll hear me talk about lots of things I've gotten wrong, lots of failures. But I met with a guy the other day in Las Vegas. And he's been going through all kinds of challenges in his business. And uh, pressures and investors just, I mean, hounding him. And, and um, not this time he turned his phone off. But the last time I was with him, in the day that we spent, we went to Hoover Dam. And um, he had three phone calls. They were on the, coming through the speaker in the car. I was listening to them, and I thought, man, how does he live like this? I mean, the pressure he's under is just incredible. People wanting money back and, you know, invest in things, and, 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 and no way would I want that. We spent some time together the other day, and this, I'll read you his text. Just spending a few hours with you, bless me. I felt so strengthened by your presence, but more by the presence of God that's with you. Thank you so much. I pray his blessings on you, your family, and ministry. What is that? Wow, John, you're just so impressive. You know, you're really learning some. No, 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 no. What is it? That's gold. That's gold. Because in between seeing him, I had the opportunity, because I had some time, and I took some time to get on my knees, get in the presence of God in that hotel room, and just spend some time with me and the Lord. And I was still, and I was alone with him. And I switched everything and everyone else off, and I got alone with him. And then we get in that scenario a little bit later, and all of a sudden, what begins to happen in that conversation is gold. I wasn't preaching at him. I wasn't quoting scriptures at him. It's just, out pops some gold. At best, we're a goose. Everyone say, quack, quack. But you know what? I don't need to be impressive. I'm not here to impress you. You're not here to impress me. Jesus is the one that's impressive. He's the, he's the bright morning star. He's the lily in the valley, not, not me. He's the fairest of 10,000. I'm not. You're not. We're not fairer than anybody. But when the things of God start to flow out of our lives, the gold will do for others what we can never produce, what we can never accomplish. But the gold is not manufactured by our own strength, by our own effort. It comes from time spent in the presence of the Lord. And it will begin to snatch you back from the edge of burnout. Now, I need to say this, because burnout is over here. There's a step before burnout, and it's worn out. And you're beginning to get aggravated with people. And you're beginning to just have that just frustration in the right situation around the right people. You just, oh, just want to bubble over. It's so aggravated by it. And coming home from work, there's just, oh. 
and you, you're starting to, to, you know, the next six months just looks, the next six weeks just looks arduous. Just seems like hard work. You maybe haven't lost all vision for it. You, you still know what you need to do, and you're still ready to get up and do it. But my goodness, it's looking like that's a long stretch right now. It's looking like a walk through the desert on a hot day, and you're thinking, my goodness, that's a, uh, okay, here we go. You're still going, but only just. You're not yet burnt out, but you're worn out. And can I tell you, you need to take some time. You need to assess yourself genuinely and say, okay, God, I am no good to you if I'm laying on the side of the road in a scrap heap and I've killed the goose. And I'm trying to extract some gold. I'm trying to pull out some things of God. I'm trying to pull out some grace and some favor and some joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm trying to eke out some anointing and trying to muster up some power when I pray for that person that they might be healed. But the reality is I've killed the things in my life that produce the gold. And I've substituted other things. I've replaced other things for the spot that should be God's. Because Jesus taught us so famously, I believe it's Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. I remember teaching a session a while ago. And it was actually a group of men. And we had a, a, a whiteboard there. And I said, okay, everybody, let's write down our stated priorities. This was a group of Christian men. And we all said, absolutely, God is first. Amen. How many of you agree? God is first priority. We put that. What's next? We said family. Oh, my goodness. I mean, what a group of men. Mighty men of valor we are. Family next. Absolutely. Number three, we said, you know, ministry to people and, and outreach and, 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 and in, in with that church, you know, the, the, the kind of kingdom business, I suppose. Put that next. Say, so what's number four? We said family. Oh, sorry, work. Yep, great. Absolutely. It's got to be in there. Don't work, you don't eat. Great. Then we said record. So we had all these things as our stated priorities. And then I had another board over here. I said, now, does your life, your day-to-day look anything like your stated priorities? And our mighty men got very quiet. Because in reality, it was turned pretty much upside down. And the amount of time we spent entertaining ourselves, the amount of time we spent working or focusing on work. And let me just throw this out. You will probably spend more time at work than in prayer. Chances are. If you have a regular job, you're going to spend more time at. I'm not talking about how many hours spent. I'm talking about who's first. Jesus didn't even say God has to be only. He just said he has to be first. It would say first. What does first mean? First. So if God is first, by default, everything else must be at best second. But the reality is this, is when God comes first, his life will flow into second and into what's third and into what's fourth and all the way down because he's first. And he said, if you seek me first, all these things, they'll be added to you. So we have a harvest which we can endeavor to reach through our programs and our plans and our performance and our spiffiness and our, 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 our how fashionable we are. and how We can try and do all of that and, and bring people into our world and say, look what I've got. And it's not very impressive because I can guarantee you there's people out there that have got more and are doing more and more high tech. But the gold, the things of God, that stuff which only God can do, the things that only he can produce, that will change people's lives in a moment. And I want that, and I need that. And I believe that God is wanting to bring you back to the place where he's first, as evidenced by the fact that you spend some time with him every day where there's no one else 
but you and him. No one else. That means your spouse. Angela and I have a, a kind of a rule. If, if one of us is in the prayer room, unless it's an absolute emergency, the other one doesn't knock on the door. Because otherwise it used to be, oh, John, can you just preach this for me? Or oh, Angela, could you just help me with that? Or oh, John, could you just? And that's not, putting, that's not being alone with God. Levi, my son, he understands these same things if it's not an emergency. But it's funny, you know, I did the upgrade on my phone the other day. I have an iPhone. And um, it now has this feature. I don't know if you guys have the same. Probably you do. I'm sure it's global. But now when you're driving, your phone automatically goes into this mode where it doesn't get texts. But you can set it up that your, the people that are in your favorites get an automatic response saying, you know, I'm driving. I can't answer right now. When I get to my destination, I'll respond. But there's a, there's a way they can bypass that, that if they then text urgent, then their text goes through. So now all of Levi's texts, which don't come through, are followed by urgent. But anyway, the point, there's always a get around for kids. My goodness. But we need to learn to be alone with him. Be still and know he's God. And when God walks in the room and God walks in that situation, it's like that oxygen mask goes on. So I start my day now. I'm going to go to the keyboard here in just a second. We're going to practice this for a minute. But I start my day with 10 minutes of complete silence. And I've never done this before. Now, someone else's might be obvious, but to me, this is brand new. I'm never quiet. Quiet makes me nervous. I start my day with complete silence. And I fight the urge with everything in me to say something or to write something or to check something. Or to, and I am just, I am still. But I find this. It doesn't take very long at all in that place of silence before I'm not in that room alone. God walks in that room. And I know, I know it. I know when he's there. I know when he's come in the room. I know what it feels like. I know when that atmosphere changes. And I find this. Then I begin to surrender to him. And from that place of surrender, I don't even mean with my words. The Bible says that the words of my mouth, but also the meditation of my heart. In my heart, I begin to surrender to him. And Jesus taught us another principle. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. Sufficient for tomorrow is the evil thereof. Today, today is the day. I surrender today. I'm not saying, God, if you call me in six weeks, I'll go to Africa. Lord, I'll go to China, my whole world, my church, my ministry. my every. No, I just surrender my heart to him today. And I say, God, that the things I say and the way I say them, that the way I treat people, that the people I'm around, God, I surrender, I yield myself to you, to the God who has just walked into this room for the next 24 hours until I wake up tomorrow, I surrender myself to you. Give me this day my daily bread. I worry about tomorrow, tomorrow morning. But today, all I'm saying is this, Lord, let people know that you love them because of the way that I love them. Today, I'm a tool in your hand. And I've found it's like God has been taking my life. Again, I'm not concentrating everything I'll ever do and ever be. That's too big. I can't do that. Not with sincerity, but I can say today, today I'm yours. Today I'm in your hand. If there's someone that you want to speak to, Lord, I'm in your hand. Speak to them through me. If there's someone that needs some money, God, my resources, that they're all at your disposal. If there's someone that needs encouragement, if there's someone I need to pray for, there's nothing I need to do but spend more time with you. God, today I'm yours. And it's like the, the life of God flowing through me has gone to such a new level I mean, I've been serving the Lord for a long time, 30, 30 plus years. I've been serving Him with all my heart, as far as I'm aware. 
But lately, everything's gone to a whole new level. And our church staff, we started doing the same thing. We've gone on this whole journey together, and the whole thing's gone to a new level. And our congregation, it's like the whole thing has gone to a whole new level by simply saying, the first 10 minutes of the day, God, I'm silent. And I'm listening to you. And then I begin to go from that place, and I start looking at some of the scriptures that mean the most to me. I start speaking them over my life and into my situation. And I give God praise, and I give God thanksgiving. I spend that time with Him, and God feeds me. Seven days without prayer makes one week. We know that. Seven days without the Word makes one week. We understand that. But some of us are going months. And we are on spiritual life support. We're emaciated spiritually. And what we are is burned out. Because the Bible says when we disconnect ourselves from the vine as branches, we wither and we burn. And we want the life of God to flow. You know, all that fruit is, is excess life. You understand that, right? When a tree, when a, when, a, when a plant, it draws its nutrition and nutrients out of the ground and it pushes it out to the extremities. And first it produces leaves, but when there's more nutrition, there's more life than it needs, it pushes it out and it produces fruit. And then other people can come and they can pick that fruit and they can then eat and be nourished by the excess life from that tree. That's why a young tree or a, a sick tree doesn't produce fruit. But a healthy tree produces fruit. When you and I begin to dig our roots back into the presence of God, that life is more than we need. We push it out to the extremities and people get around us and there's something they can draw from. There's something they can receive from. There's something they can eat from our lives which feeds them. And all it is is we just draw life from Him and we push it out to the extremities. And it's so simple. It takes a degree to mess this up. Be still, and you'll know I'm God. 